Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Thank you, Minister Pastor Gill. Hallelujah. Come on, give Jesus a praise in the house tonight. He's worthy, church. Oh, come on, give Jesus a praise in the house tonight. Hallelujah! Oh, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You know, I want to I want to tag on something that Pastor Gill was saying. I felt the Lord. I'll give you my text in just a second. I felt the Lord say uh, uh, that uh, <laughs> not many days from now, some of you that have been desperate for a breakthrough, it's going to come and it's going to come suddenly. You need, you need to take hold of that tonight. Some of you have been contending and contending and contending, and you've started to contend not only in the prayers that you pray, but you started to contend with his word. And when you contend with his word, the Lord says, not many days from now, that breakthrough that you're contending with my word to see come to pass is going to come to pass. And here's how I know, because if you were to look in the book of Joshua, this is not my text. If you were to look in the book of Joshua, chapter one, verse eight, it says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Can I tell you tonight, church, he's worthy of our praise because his word is true. His word is sure. When everything else will fade and pass away, his word will endure forever. That's a promise from his word. And he's, he's wanting me to just tell you tonight, not many days from now, as you continue to contend, but you contend even more in his word and with his word, that 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 you are longing for, that you are praying for, that you are desiring then you will be prosperous and you will find success. Come on, give him praise one more time tonight. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hey, man, you can be seated tonight. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord. What a, what a, let me just go ahead and say thank you to everyone that was here Sunday night. I know many that uh, watched online and shared, sent us texts and said things about how, how special the service was Sunday night. I greatly appreciated Pastor Daniel's message, how he challenged all of us, but especially was challenging our graduates. And then church, I just got to tell you, I'm proud of you for the way that you responded in honoring these six world changers because they're very special to, to my, my wife, Jan and I. Uh, because of uh, they are, we used to call them our guinea pigs, and somebody said, we're not guinea pigs, we're forerunners, and I thought, I'm corrected, we're, they're forerunners, uh, because of, they're our, our first graduating class, and I'm so thankful for them, and I'm so thankful for how you showed them great honor, and uh, uh, so just from, from Jan and I, thank you, amen? Amen. amen. All right. Well, I'm going to minister the word to you tonight, and I know I, I know I had you sit down, uh, and we normally stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, so, sorry, we'll do the Holy Ghost, uh, Holy Ghost Night Pentecost uh, calisthenics. If you could stand, if you're able. If you're not, that's okay. 
Uh, our text tonight, it comes from two passages in Scripture, Judges chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, and then Colossians 1.27. The title of my message tonight is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Judges chapter 6, verse 11 and 12 says this. I'm reading from the New King James. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And then Colossians 1.27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for your anointing in this place. I ask, Father, that you just cause the change that you want to see take place in each one of us, that the hope of glory, which is Jesus in us, will be revealed to the world after we hear what your word has to say tonight. And we thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. You can be seated tonight. There is something that God wants to reveal to the world around us the hope of glory. When you break this passage down in Colossians chapter one, that's what Paul's saying. God wants to reveal something to the world around us. And what he wants to reveal to the world around us is that Christ in us is the hope of glory. I'll break it down for you here just a little bit, and, and hopefully you'll walk away tonight with a greater understanding of that term. I mean, we use that term in songs, uh, and we say that, you know, the Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But do we really understand what it means and the context in which the Holy Spirit had Paul deliver that message? The first thing is to talk about hope. Now, if you look up a definition of hope, it says hope is um, the feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. The feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Now, we know as believers that faith, our faith, our faith in Jesus, our faith in God, that is the substance of our hope. If we're going to hope for something, we ought to have something that, that is a substance that is the source of our hope, and it's our faith in him. Now, faith is this, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we know that the Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So if we love him, there's some great things prepared for us on this side of eternity and in, an eter and in eternity. But we've got to have faith in the Lord to be able to see them, even though it's, we don't, it's evidence of things not yet seen, which means it's going to be revealed Hallelujah. to us. Hallelujah. Now, when people lose hope, they no longer have that feeling of expectation and that desire for certain thing to happen. That's what it means to lose hope. I just don't have, you know, some, some people, unfortunately, tonight even are living their lives with a, I don't really have any expectation of anything to happen. Uh, and it never has, doesn't seem like it's ever going to. And so they no longer have this expectation of, of something that uh, is and a desire for a certain thing to happen. Paul said an interesting thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. He said, if in this life only 
we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most pitiful. Now, what does he mean by that? Paul is saying that there is a hope for us as believers that goes beyond just the here and now. And what is that hope? That's the hope of glory, church. Jesus Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses two through four, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The Bible is trying to get us a message tonight, church. There's a hope of glory, and that's Christ in us that allows us to have the hope of the promise that we will be with him forever in glory. Amen? Paul calls it our blessed hope. Paul says in, in both Corinthians and First Thess- Corinthians and First Thessalonians that we have hope. And it's not that we're we're gonna taste death and then that's gonna be the that's gonna be it. But those that have died in Christ or those that are alive in Christ, we have a blessed hope that He is coming back. He is returning. Oh, come on, church. We have a hope tonight. We have something to hope for. We have something to be thankful for. We have a hope that we can keep one eye, if you will, looking toward the clouds, knowing that any moment you're gonna hear, we're gonna hear that trumpet blast. We're gonna hear the voice of that archangel, and the dead in Christ are gonna rise first, but a millisecond, a millimilla, millisecond right behind them. We're going to go. We're going to take off. It's going to be countdown, launch, get up in the sky to be with the Lord forever. Hallelujah. That's our hope, church. When's the last time you thought about that? When's the last time that you got up in the morning and said, Lord, if you came today, it would be a great day. Well, maybe for some of you, because of what you've been going through, that's exactly what you've been saying when you get up in the morning. Lord, my eyes are open, I'm breathing, you've caused the sun to rise again, and it's another day. But you know, I'm just a little bit closer to getting towards, getting to be with you and be in heaven, and you know, it'd be all right if that happened today. Lord, it'd be okay if you split that sky. It'd be all right if you called me home. I'd just as soon step, take one step out of my bedroom and step over in, walking on the streets of gold passing through the gates of pearl and to see Jesus face to face. Hallelujah. I'm a little excited about this hope that we have. And you should be too. We have that hope that we will see him face to face. We have that hope that we will no longer be separated from God our Father and Jesus our Savior. This is our hope because we are believers. We are the blood-bought the blood washed, the redeemed, the sanctified, the made righteous in his sight by his blood, church of the living God. And this is our hope. But you know what? It's also their hope. And God wants to reveal that hope through us to them. And that's what Paul's talking about when he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul called it in our text, a mystery. He said, this is the mystery And you know what, church, it's up to you and I to make it not so mysterious anymore. 
I think it's time we let our light shine. You know, you learn a lot in King's, King's Kids Ministry. You learn a lot if you, if you listen to the songs that they sing, if you watch the puppets, if, you, if Harry comes up and starts talking about things and, and giving and Minister Kimmy a hard time, you can learn a lot. I, I remember songs that I learned in children's church. That's what we called it way back then. And that song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine. Church, I'm, about, I'm here to tell you, it's about time we as the church of Jesus Christ begin to let our light shine because Christ in us, his light shining out through us is the hope of glory. And it's a mystery to so many people. But Paul is challenging uh, the Colossian believers and the Holy Spirit is challenging you and I tonight that it doesn't need to be a mystery any longer. It's time we let the mystery out of the bag. It's time we begin to share the secret of what we found, and that's redemption through the blood of Jesus. It's time we begin to share with somebody, look, I was just like you. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was headed to destruction, but now I'm saved. And you can be too. Hallelujah. Christ in you and I, the hope of glory. Well, that's my introduction. Here's point number one tonight. God has a plan for every life here. It's called our destiny. And I'm here to tell you tonight as we talk about this, the destiny that we have is to reveal that mystery, that mystery that we have uncovered, that mystery that we have discovered. And if you're here tonight, if you're in the parking lot, if you're online, if you watch this later and you've, you're, it's still mysterious to you, you're not sure what this Christian thing is about. You're not sure what Christianity is all about. Can I tell you, tonight is a great opportunity for you to meet him, to encounter him, to allow him to change you, to allow him to take you as you are and make you who you are supposed to be. So just hang with me till the end of the message. God has a plan for every life here. It's a destiny that God has. Ephesians 1.5 says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. I shared that one, I shared that verse one other time. And I talked about the fact that God didn't say, well, okay, I guess I'll let you be a part of the family. But it was his will that we be adopted into his family, so much so that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that the penalty for our sin would be paid for because it was his will and it was his good will. But when Paul says, having predestined us to adoption as sons, that means there is a predetermined destination of God for our lives. Now, some people have a hard time with the word predestination, and that's usually because they're looking at it incorrect. If you look at predestination as, and, and if you look, teach it or preach it or hear this and say maybe that is what it is, if it's saying that there's only a certain number of people, it's already been determined before the world was ever created that there's a certain number of people that are going to be saved and only those people are going to be saved and those are the only ones that Jesus died for and that's what Paul's meaning here saying we're predestined. Can I tell you that's incorrect? That's not what predestined means. That's not what the Bible teaches. There is just too much other scripture in the word of God that says that God wants, he desires, and he has provided for all to be saved. In fact, 
I challenge you just a little bit to, to if, if, you, if you need proof of that, to begin to study that and look at all the instances where there's declarations of who can be saved, how they can be saved, what God has done. For God so loved who? The world. So predestination doesn't mean that there's this predetermined number of people. And if you're not one of those predetermined number of people, then you're out of luck. That's not what it means. The Bible is full of this truth. God predetermined that through Abraham, he would bless all the nations of the world. God predetermined that Jeremiah would be a prophet to the nations. God predetermined that Samson would be a judge and a deliverer of Israel. God predetermined that John the Baptist would be the forerunner of Jesus. God predetermined for Jesus to die for the sins of the world and to restore what Adam lost in the garden. See, when, when it, Paul says we are predestined for adoption, that means we were already in God's mind, in his plan, in his will, in his purpose to be included in his family before we ever breathed our first breath. Even though sin had entered the world, God already had a plan. That's why the Bible says Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, I've had some people say, well, does that mean that God set Adam and Eve up and God set them up so that they would sin in the garden? So then that because Jesus was predetermined to be the savior of the world before there was a world, did God do that? No. When you look at God and you try to understand God, sometimes it, you, your brain, because in my brain, it'll hurt because his ways are not our ways. He is so much higher than we are. He is outside of time. We, we view things from a beginning to an end and everything that happens in between. He's at the beginning. He's at the end. He's in the middle. He's in the future. He's in the past. The stuff that happened in the past is present with him right now. The stuff that happens in the future, he's already there. So we can't try to put God in our box of how we think. So when God looked at what the creation of the world, he knew that there was a possibility that Adam and Eve could sin, but he also knew there was a possibility that they couldn't, but he already had a plan. In other words, God doesn't have to play catch up. When something happens, God doesn't have to go, oh, wait, I got to figure out what to do with that right now. He already has a plan. He's got so many plans. There's so many streams. There's so many streams of possibilities because God will not ever override our will that's, that he is sovereign and his way and his will will come to pass. But many times, even though we're predetermined to be part of his kingdom, people can make a choice to not be. But he's still, he's still predetermined that Jesus would die for the sins of the world. And just as surely as God is predetermined and predetermined ahead of time, all of those instances that I just gave you from scripture, just as surely as that, God has a perfect and divine plan for your life and my life. God is a God of destiny and purpose. Everything about God's dealings with man is connected with a purpose. He tells us in Ecclesiastes 3, 1, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And Ecclesiastes 3, 17 says, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every purpose and every work. Romans 8, 28 through 30 says, and we know that all things 
Work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Church, that's you and I. That's the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, saying that's every one of us. To him who he foreknew, that's you and I. We are God's creation, created in his image. We were, we were predestined to be created. God knows every person that's, that's ever gonna breathe life on this planet. He does. And every one of them he foreknew. He created us, he handcrafted us down to the DNA molecular structure of our lives. And he has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for each one of us. We are all predetermined to belong to him. There is a predestination that God has established for every person born, and it is that they should be saved and can be saved and can be conformed into the image of his son. But even beyond that, there, beyond that, this, th there's God's predetermined plan for your individual life. It's God's predetermined plan that everybody gets saved. Peter tells us that. It's not God's will that any should perish, but all, A-L-L, -L, capital A-L-L. -L. And when the Bible says all, you can look at it in the original Greek. You can look at it in Koine Greek. You can look at it in refined Greek. You can look at it in a Greek for dummies. And A-L-L -L means A-L-L. -L. It means all. It means everybody. It means everything. And so God predetermined that everyone should be saved. And then each individual, he predetermined the destiny for each one of us. And I am confident that it brings sadness to God's heart that there are those who never discover their God-given destiny and will never fulfill that destiny because they don't know, because they don't care, because they're not interested, because of all kinds of different reasons. But there is a plan and a purpose and a destiny for each person here tonight. You and I will never find our individual destiny until we have fully embraced our collective destiny. That is to say, unless we act upon the word of God and seek to be conformed to the image of Jesus, following after him daily through obedience and faithfulness, God will not reveal more to us if we have not been faithful to do what he's already revealed. Last time I preached, I preached on the fact that, that it's the grace of God. I was thankful for the grace of God. You should be thankful for the grace of God, that we, our works don't save us. Our works don't bring us salvation. They certainly don't. But can I tell you that once we get saved, we have a responsibility to then begin to let the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit transform us and change us and cause us to be more like Jesus and to be his image uh, on this earth and to be the, the Christ revealed to the world around us and the hope of glory that we have, that blessed hope. Peter said, be ready to give an account when people ask you what it is that is this hope that you have. We all have a plan and a purpose and a destiny from God. And God will not reveal more to us if we've not been faithful to do what he's already revealed to us. And if you don't know what he's revealed to you as a believer tonight, can I tell you, Jesus took the 10 commandments that the religious people of his day ex expounded and ex expanded up to over 400 uh, religious duties and he condensed them down to two. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you're not loving God with everything that you've got and you're not loving your neighbor as yourself, don't ask God to reveal to you what you're supposed to be doing next. Start with what he's already said to do. Get that down. And not, a, and not a checklist, not a, okay, God, for six, for, for, for six days, six weeks, six months, I've been loving you with everything that I got. And, and for six days, six weeks, six months, I've been loving my neighbor who I really can't stand, but I'm loving by faith. I'm, I'm loving my neighbor as myself. What's next? No, it needs to become a lifestyle that when people, you know, <laughs> the Holy Spirit's given me all kinds of stuff that are not in my notes. So I'm just going to open my mouth and let him fill it and let him say what he wants to say. There's too many people that are saying, God, Jesus, God, what do you want us to do? Well, how do you want us to act? How do you want us to behave? What are we supposed to be doing? And God says, are you loving people? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, we, yeah, yeah. We say we love people, but you know, what do you want us to do? And God says, no, no, you don't understand. How will the world know that we are his disciples? How will the world know that we follow him? in that we have love for one another. So uh, stands to reason that don't ask God what we're supposed to be doing if we're not being very lovely. And I'll move on from that. God's already predetermined what he desires for your life and for my life. It's up to you and I to set our course to walk in that destiny. One of the things that we uh, incorporated in KSM is a tagline in all our advertisement, discover your destiny. And there's a lot of people that are like, I wanna know what my destiny is. Is my destiny to go to the ends of the earth? What's the city? When am I getting there? What's gonna happen? Is my destiny uh, gonna be to, to have some political office or some, some corporate office? Or is my destiny gonna be to preach to thousands? When am I gonna get to do that? And if that's your focus, you're missing the point. The journey, the step every day, day by day, step by step, walking it out, allowing the salvation that's taken place that's on taking place on the inside to be worked out on the outside of us in what we do and what we say and how we act and how we show the world Jesus. That's just as important. In fact, it's more important than where we end up because we may not end up in that place if we're not walking it out daily. So God has a plan for every life here, your destiny. Now, point number two, we set the course of our destiny with our mouth. Oh, I'm preaching now. I opened with a text from the book of Judges and the life of a young man by the name of Gideon because it illustrates my point. I'll read it again. Judges 6, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, if you know the story of Gideon, Gideon was doing something that you don't normally do. You don't use a wine press to separate the wheat from the chaff to harvest the wheat. That's not what you use a wine press for. But because of the oppression, in fact, if you read chapter 6, verse 1, it says, and Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord again. That's a common theme in the book of Judges. 
They would do evil in the sight of the Lord. God would send a nation to take them into captivity or slavery or oppression and to rob and steal from them because of the sin that they were doing in the sight of the Lord. They would cry out to God for a deliverer. He would raise up a judge. That judge would deliver them from the oppression of that nation. Sometimes it lasted seven years. Sometimes it lasted 40 years, but, but they, they would repeat the cycle. When that judge died, when that judge moved on, when God moved that judge out of the way, the people went back to doing evil. And the same thing is here. So Gideon is is hiding the wheat harvest from the Midianites because the Midianites had overtaken Israel and God's people. And when they would harvest things, when they would plant crops, before they could pick them, the Midianites would come and take them. When they would harvest the wheat and begin to separate it, because when you separate wheat from the chaff, uh, it creates dust. It rises up in the air. It's, it's, it's just part of it. So they would see the dust clouds from the harvesting of the wheat and they would, the Midianites would come over and take it all. So Gideon's father came up with this great idea. I'm implying, it doesn't say, but I think it probably fits. Gideon's father came up with this great idea or maybe Gideon did. Let's thresh it in the wine press. Why would that cause there not to be dust? Because a wine press is a hole dug in the ground and you set the thing that you put the grapes in over that hole and you march on the grapes and the juice from the grapes runs out of the bottom of the thing that's holding the grapes into the hole into another container. So you get down under something and you're threshing wheat and the dust doesn't rise up so the Midianites wouldn't know. And in the middle of doing this seemingly boring, menial task, but trying to get some wheat so that you could make some food, uh, an angel appears. The angel appears to Gideon and says, hail, you mighty man of valor. And I can imagine Gideon looking around going, did somebody else come in the wine press? Is there somebody else here? Because I know you're not talking to me. And the angel said, the Lord is with you. And Gideon begins to complain. He says, if the Lord is with us, then how come I'm down here in this wine press, threshing this wheat in this wine press so the Midianites don't come steal it? If we've heard about all that God's done, but if he's with us, where is he now? And the angel ignored all his complaints and began to say again. But do you see, Gideon was choosing to set the course of his destiny on hold by his words. Instead of when the angel said, hey, almighty man of valor, instead of him saying, I don't feel like a mighty man of valor. I'm not really doing things that a mighty man of valor would do, but you're obviously an angel of the Lord. And if you declare I'm a mighty man of valor, then okay, teach me, show me, help me walk out being a mighty man of valor. If he would have done that immediately, he would have set his, the desti- course of his destiny in effect immediately. But yeah, as you know the story, and I'm not gonna take time tonight to go through the whole story. It's Judges chapter six, you can check it out. But he put a fleece, and then he put another fleece. Okay, please, he even said, please, God, don't, don't let God get mad with, at me. But I just gotta know. I just gotta know. And finally, Gideon got to the place where he started to believe what the angel was declaring. So he's like, okay, I can do this. And it's like, oh, go, go get all the armies, go get all the mighty, other mighty men. You know, you're a mighty man of valor. You go recruit other mighty men to come be a part of your army because you're gonna overthrow the Midianites. So he goes and does that. And he gets, you know, he goes to knocks on the doors, you know, excuse me, pardon me, uh, Gideon, mighty man of valor, so, the, so God says. And I'm here to recruit the army and you look like a mighty man of valor. Trust me, 
When I say that, you look like a mighty man of valor, come join the army, we're gonna overthrow the Midianites. And so he ended up with a certain number of, of people in his army and he's getting ready. He's like, okay, God, what's the plan? And God says, you got too many people there. Now the Midianites were, the, were hundreds of thousands. And Gideon's like, too many, too many guys. I don't even, we, we barely have enough to even make it a, 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 you know, any kind of fight. And he says, you got too many there. Tell all of them that are afraid and want to go back home that they can leave. And he thought, well, I convinced them to be here and I, I'm, I'm learning this spokesman thing. I'm learning how to, end, you know, how to be a highly effective person, you know, and, and influence people. So I'm sure that maybe we might lose, you know, we might lose half a percent of these, but I'll, okay, God, I'll tell them. So he goes to his army and he says, okay, guys, listen up. No condemnation, no criticism, no judgment. But any of you that are here that are afraid and you'd rather be at home, you're dismissed. And his jaw fell to the ground as he watched a large number of them walk out. And he's like, well, okay, God, you said I'm a mighty man of valor and I don't fully understand it. And this seems like a setback instead of a breakthrough. This seems like a, cause sometimes setbacks are just setups for the breakthrough that God's gonna bring. Hallelujah, you can tweet that if you want. And God says, well, that's fine, but you still got, you still got too many. And he's like, okay, now what? And he says, take them all down to the, to the brook. And every one of them that, that dives down to, to drink water, lap it like a dog, uh, then you send them home. But all of them that go down on one knee and bring the water up to their mouth, you keep them. Now, if you know anything about military strategy in Bible days, you would know that if that that many times based on the terrain, the brooks were kind of down low. So if you went to the brook as a warrior in the middle of a battle and you just dove down to start drinking, sticking your head in the water, the enemy could be waiting in ambush just over the ridge. And you'd be toast. So you so a, a wise military person would go to the brook and would get down on one knee and bring the water up to his mouth as he's scanning the horizon looking for the ambush. And when all was said and done, Gideon had 300 guys, 300. But you know what? These were 300 men that were willing to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to mess up my destiny by what I say. I'm going to, if nothing else, I'll keep my mouth shut and believe what's being declared over me. And I'm going to see this through. And if you know the rest of the story, Gideon and his 300 guys, it was prophet. After all that was done, it was prophesied to Gideon that you're, you're, you're I already told you you're going to be successful. Here how it is how it's going to happen. And there was a vision and in in the Midianite army and Gideon heard about it, that there was this stone that came rolling into the camp and wiped out the, the Midianite camp. And that's exactly what happened. Gideon and his 300 guys surrounded the valley uh, that they were camped at and they had a trumpet and they had a torch hidden under a ceramic pot. And when Gideon gave the signal, they blew the trumpet, they broke the pot, held up the torch and the Midianites killed themselves scrambling to get their, their gear and their armor and their swords and things and begin to fight among themselves and wiped them out. And all Gideon and his 300 mighty men of valor had to do was stand there and shout to God. And the victory was won. So you can use that story to understand that God has a purpose and a destiny for each person. And we set the course of our destiny by what we say or what we don't say. 
James compares, the book of James compares the tongue to a bit in a horse's mouth, the rudder of a ship, and a fire. And just a side note, I personally believe that the reason when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, that you speak in other tongues is because of what James says and what the Bible says about the tongue. It says it's our most unruly member. It says that there's power, the power of life and death is in our tongue. So I believe that when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I mean, I mean, God could have made the evidence of receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He could have made it that uh, our eye color changes. Okay. That's what he could have made it be, but he didn't. He made it that when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we speak in a language that we do not know. Why? Because it shows that we have surrendered our tongue, the most unruly member of our body, the thing that has the power of life and death in it. We have surrendered that to him. He now has complete control over all of us. So that's just a little side note. But James compares our tongue to a bit in a horse's mouth, the rudder of a ship and a fire. The bit and the rudder shows us how something very small has the power to determine the course of something very large. Especially when you look at the comparison of a rudder and a ship. For those of you that know anything about doing any kind of sailing or nautical navigation, You've got to set your bearings. You've got to set your course. You've got to know what the degrees your compass needs to be on. And as you're going along, you've got a course correct. Because if you start out with your degree set at a certain direction, at a certain degree, and you don't check from time to time to make sure that you're still on that course and that you're still following that degree, that when you start out here, by the time you get to where you thought you were supposed to be going, you could be hundreds of miles off simply by one or two degree being off on course. That's how powerful the, the rudder of a, of a ship is. I mean, the big tankers, the big cruise ships, they don't have in comparison a proportional size to the size of the ship, a proportional size rudder. It's a small rudder compared to the size of those big cruise ships, and yet it turns and changes the course and directs the course that the ships take. The same thing with the horses. You put, a, you put a bit in a horse's mouth, and you can direct the horse. You can pull the rein to the right or to the left or back or let off, and the horse will react based on the bit. The tongue is compared to a fire that it can literally set on fire the course of nature, James says. That is to say the tongue can totally alter the natural course of your life and my life. I already mentioned it. The tongue is said to be an unruly member. James says full of deadly poison. So you can see the power of our words, the power of our tongue in setting the course of our destiny. Your life, my life is like a ship and we're always moving in the direction of our most dominant thoughts and our most dominant thoughts always find expression through our tongue. That's how the enemy knows that he's being successful in what he's tempting you to do because of what you say and how you act because he can't read your mind. Just in case you need reminded, God and the devil are not on the same level. He is not all powerful. He doesn't know everything and he can't be he can't be everywhere at once at the same time. Only God can. Are you getting what I'm saying tonight? Proverbs 23:7 says for as he thinks in his heart, so a man is. Luke 6:45 says for out of the abundance of the heart a man's mouth speaks. 
Our tongue is the rudder for our life. We will, it will either steer our life towards our destiny or steer our life away from it because it, we have to determine what we're going to say and what we're not going to say. If God says to do something, we don't need to say, but God, that's impossible because the moment that we do, then we are saying, I'm not willing to set on the course that you're wanting me to be set on. But just like Mary, when the angel announced to her that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, the Savior, and she said, how am I going to have a, a, a child? And the angel told her what was going to happen. And she said, probably with a lot of, I don't understand this. This is really unusual. There's not a manual for this. I don't, know, I, I don't see anybody. I'm the forerunner in this. Uh, but be it unto me as you have said. That should be our response whenever the Lord speaks to us about what our destiny is. Lord, whatever you direct, whatever you say, as you say it, I believe it. And I will then begin to set my life on the course of following after what you are declaring because Christ in us is the hope of glory. And if we don't believe that and we don't adjust our life and set our life on course to fulfill that destiny of revealing Christ, the hope of glory to the world around us, then what hope do they have? Because we're it. We're it. Not only does God have a plan for every life here, which is our destiny, not only do we set the course of our destiny with what we say with our tongues, number three, we reveal the mystery in our lives, which is Christ in us and the glory of heaven that awaits us by living out our destiny. When we get online with God and we line up with God and we hear what he declares over us, hail mighty man of valor, hail woman of God, hail daughter of Zion, hail righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, hail more than a conqueror. Hello, you wonderfully, fearfully and wonderfully made individual. Hello, my son and daughter. It's me and I've got a plan for you. When we begin to hear him say that and we begin to live out our destiny, then we make this no longer a mystery mystery to the world. But you know what makes it an even, a even bigger mystery? Not only does the world not fully understand, because the Bible says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So they don't get it until the Holy Spirit has an opportunity to open their eyes. But not only is that a mystery to them, what's an even bigger mystery is when we say with our mouth that we love Jesus and that we obey Jesus and that we follow Jesus and that we love everybody and that we're so glad that he's, he's our savior and we're a Christian when we say that, but our actions deny what we're saying. That makes it even more of a mystery because then people look at that and say, why do I need to join that club? I got enough hassles in life. Why do I need to add going to, going to some building on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, being in a life group, which you should, all of us should do and you need to do. But the world, when they don't see us being the example of the hope of glory, Christ in us, all they see is us trying to do a bunch of religious stuff, but still acting mean. Oh, as pastor says, I'm not feeling the love now. You mean Christians can be mean? Oh, yes, they can. Yes, they can. <laughs> yes, Holy Spirit. Okay. 
We need to walk out the destiny that God has, has, has for each one of us. First and foremost, our collective destiny, to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself, and then to line ourselves up with that individual destiny that he has predetermined from before we got here that we would do, that he would, that he would have for us to do. And we do it by living out our destiny and we set our de life on course to fulfill our destiny by what we say. Proverbs 12, 18, there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. The tongue of the wise. Who are the wise? He that winneth souls is wise, the word of God says. The greatest wisdom in the world is to fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom, the word says. So if we follow the Lord, if we fear the Lord, if we spread the gospel, if we live the life, then we are being wise. And if we are, then our tongues should be promoting health, not piercing. Proverbs 15, 4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Proverbs 10, 20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. Proverbs 31, 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Job 22, 28, you will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. So, so light will shine on your ways. Isaiah 57, 19 tells us that God says, I create the fruit of the lips. Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing in which, for which I sent it. Psalm 107.2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Galatians 6.7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Our words are seeds. We plant them every day. Every time we open our mouth, we're planting seeds. The question is, are we planting seeds that is helping us to fulfill our destiny? Are we planting seeds by what we say that's keeping our life set on course for the destiny that God has for each one of us? Or are we planting seeds that are gonna get us off track and we will not be revealing the hope of glory, which is Christ in us to those around us? So what are you saying about yourself? What are you believing about yourself? There may be some here tonight that you're like, yeah, all of that's true for somebody else, but it's not true for me. Maybe there's some here tonight. Maybe there's some watching online. Maybe there's some in the parking lot listening to it on the radio station that are like, yeah, I'm like Gideon. I just don't see it. You know, when, when the angel declared to Gideon, mighty man of valor, Gideon said, huh, you don't understand. I'm the runt of the family. I'm the least of my brothers. Modern translation, I'm the runt. I'm the one that gets picked on. You don't see any of them in here, in this wine press, threshing wheat. I'm the runt. I'm the, the least of my brothers. My father and his household is the least of our tribe. And our tribe is the least of the 12. He's saying, there's so much stacked against me. I got so much stacked against me. There's no way I can be what you're saying I am. You got the wrong person. If you've ever said that, if you've ever felt that, if you've ever thought that, can I encourage you and challenge you tonight? Change your thinking, change your speech, allow and begin to declare what the word of God speaks and says over you. Well, I don't know what it says. Well, that's not God's fault. You get what you, you, get what you want. I've told all of my kids, 
None of them are in here tonight. I've told all of my kids, all six of them, when the answer is, oh, I forgot, it's like, hmm, I'm not sure I buy that you forgot because if it was something you really wanted, you remind me about it all the time. Hey, dad, remember? Hey, dad, we're supposed to go. Hey, dad, remember two weeks ago when you said after I did this that we could go do that? I said, you don't forget that. We're God's kids. We can't say to God, oh, I, I, I forgot to believe that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We can't say to God, oh, God, I guess I forgot that I've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb and the redeemed of the Lord are supposed to say so. We can't say as God's kids to him, you know, God, I, God, I really didn't know that about you. When he's given us his word and he's given us his spirit and in it's in the word anointed by the spirit, it declares who we are. It declares what our destiny is. It's power for life. The word of God is alive. It is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to pierce in between soul and spirit. Bone and marrow, what does that mean? It means it goes right to the root of the problem and it deals with the problem. It eliminates the problem. When, the, when we're thinking thoughts, I, I got a friend of mine that calls it stinking thinking. When, we're stink, when we got stinking thinking going on, the Bible says that we take every thought captive that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. Well, we can't take something captive against the knowledge of Christ if we don't know what the knowledge of Christ is. But that's why we have his word and that's why we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give us the mind of Christ because that's what the word instructs us to do. And then we do like what I said that Joshua, Joshua was told, meditate on the law, on the word of God day and night. Do not let it depart from your mouth. Do not let it depart from your heart because that's the key to keeping your life on the course of the destiny that God has created each and every one of us to do. Can somebody say amen? So what are you going to do? Are you going to let life happen? Or are you going to recognize that because the spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is, a, is in us, it causes us, it quickens us, it raises us up, it causes us to become alive. It means in the morning when we get up, listen, listen, you need to, if you're not thinking this way, you need to. Come on. If you got to repent, then repent because repentance is freedom, not bondage. Oh, I ought to be better than that. Yeah, you probably should if you've been walking with the Lord for a while and it's the same habit and the same sin and the same stuff that you keep going back to. Yeah, I will tell you, you should be better than that. But his grace is sufficient. Where sin abounds, the grace of God does much more abound. And it doesn't become a license to continue to sin. It becomes the freedom through repentance that sets us free from that sin. If we don't repent, we're bad. We're stuck to that action or that attitude or that word that we said or that thought that we had. We're stuck to that. But the moment we repent with a true heart of repentance that comes before the Lord and says, Lord, I'm not sorry that I got caught. Yes, I am. But I'm more sorry that I hurt you and that I damaged my relationship with you. And I'm breaking your heart by this thing that I'm doing. Please forgive me. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Forgive me of those sins and set me on the path again. And when we do that, then you need to wake up in the morning, every morning and go, 
Thank you, Lord, I got breath in my lungs. Thank you, Lord, I got my blood pumping through my veins. Thank you, Lord, that I can swing my feet out of this bed and they can hit the floor. And when they do, I have the ability to send the demonic of this region running because of the power and the glory and the mystery of Christ in me, which is the hope of glory. And if we will do that, if we will do that, We'll see this world changed. We'll see our community changed. I'm going to close if I could have a keyboard player. I had a, a local businessman, in my opinion, pay us a huge compliment. For those of you that might not have seen, I, I bought all the KSM graduates uh, a dagger, which is a miniature sword. And we gave them a brand new Bible because it's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But I gave them the dagger to symbolize that it's a weapon. I bought that from a local businessman. I bought the daggers. When I went in to check them out, I was just talking to him and he said, yeah, I, I have some. And he brought them out and we were looking at them and he told me what the price was, and it was, a, it was a, a good price. It was an okay price. And I said, well, I need six of them. And he said, uh, I got six. He said, uh, interesting that you need six. I said, well, can I share the story with you, what they're for? And he said, sure. So I began to share with him about our ministry school and stuff. And he went, you guys are the church on the hill. And I th I'm just going to be honest. I thought, oh, here we go. And he said, tell you what. He said, I'll sell you all six for, and he gave me an unbelievable price. He said, because you guys are an essential business and I appreciate so much what your church and the people in your church, what it represents to this community and the difference it makes in this community. And can I tell you, that was one of the greatest compliments that a local businessman, and, and he said, are you guys open? And I said, well, we're doing the, this was the reservation. So we're doing the reservation process. And he said, well, he said, I, I drove by and I heard it. He said, I, I wanted to pull in the parking lot. I said, I said, brother, you just need to come check it out. He said, oh, I hear all the time. And he said, I meet people from there. He said, and I know people that go there. And he said, you guys are the most essential business in our community that I can think of. And I'm just so grateful that you're doing what you're doing. Can't wait to see that building. And I will for sure come check that one out. So I got an open door now to go back and check on him from time to time, pray for him, keep, keep drawing him in, him and his family. But that's what should be said of us. But we have to believe that. We have to believe what this says. We have to not only believe it, we got to start living like we believe it. When Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and I really am closing, you can tell I've been a pastor. Um, when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount and he got to, he, he said all the Beatitudes and then he said what's known as the similitudes. He said, you are the light of the world. He didn't say, okay, now that you've been hearing me talk about how to get into the kingdom, because that's what the Beatitudes are. If you break it down, there's steps to enter into the kingdom. It starts with being poor in spirit, recognizing we need him. And without him, we have no entrance into the kingdom. 
And it ends, the, beati- the last beatitude is, blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you and speak all e- e- manner of evil against you. Because by the time you're all the way in the kingdom, you won't care what people say about you. You'll only care what he says about you. That's another sermon. But anyway, after he, after he does that, he says, you're the light of the world. Now he didn't say, okay, everybody that wants to be the light, stand up and move over here on the left. And those of you that aren't sure if you want to be the light, uh, you stay in the middle. And those of you that absolutely don't want to be the light, you go over to the right. He didn't say that. He looked at all of those people that had gathered to hear him preach. The greatest preacher preaching the greatest message that was ever preached, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he said, you are the light of the world. So the question is, what kind of light do you want to be? Do you want to be a light that shines on the pathway to lead those that are in sin out of sin? Do you wanna be a light that is actually a reflection of him, that our lives are so focused on him that we're like mirrors? Mirror light is a powerful light. That's why, that's why headlights on cars and big um, spotlights that shine into the sky. The whole inside of the housing is mirror that reflects the one light bulb. Our lives should be mirrors that reflect the light, Jesus, so that we are the light to this world, revealing him, making it not mysterious anymore, but making it very clear. There is a hope that he has gone to prepare a place and he will return. And because he's gone to do it, he will come back. And when he comes back, he's coming back to get us. Come on, get on the bus. There's room for plenty more on this bus. Stand with me all across this place. I hope you got something tonight. I hope you understand a little bit better what it means to be, when Paul said, Christ in you is the hope of glory, that it shouldn't be a mystery anymore. And I hope you understand that in order to walk out that destiny of being the hope of glory with Christ in us, we got to begin to line up what we say, what we declare, how we live our lives with what the word of God says about us. But if you're here tonight as we close and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or your light has gone out, your woods got wet, you need to recommit your life to the Lord. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to hit that spark in your life again that causes your life to begin to burn hot for Jesus. If that's you tonight, I wanna pray for you. I wanna lead you in a prayer. If, you're, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you opportunity to do that tonight. If you need to recommit your life, as I said, because things in life have caused your light to grow dim or to go out and people aren't sure anymore. Maybe you're not even sure anymore. Or you want to just be sure that <laughs> the hope of glory lives in you and you will see him face to face. If that's you in any one of those categories, would you lift your hand? Oh, you didn't have us bow our heads. That's because that's because repentance and acceptance of Jesus is not something to be ashamed of. It's the greatest thing any individual can do. So if that's you tonight, would you lift your hand all across this place? If that's you, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you. All oh, the angels in heaven are rejoicing tonight. There's a party going on in heaven tonight because people are making a declaration that's going to stick. Hallelujah. Online, if that's you, in the parking lot, if that's you, if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat this prayer. In fact, all of us, repeat this prayer. Let's make it 100% recommitment of our lives to the Lord. But if it's for the first time, pray it and mean it with all your heart, and God will accept your prayer of repentance tonight. But repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given me a hope. And that hope 
is Jesus, my Savior. So tonight, I repent of my sins. Forgive me, Lord. Help me, Lord, to live for you. Come into my life. Save me tonight. And help me to walk out the hope of glory in my life for the whole world to see. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. I'm yours and you are mine. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this place tonight. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.